0: And uh, I want to start with John three sixteen and 17. What Lynn read was just exactly perfect for what we're talking about this morning. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. You've got to understand and appreciate just how unique that is. You know, everyone everywhere, all across the planet, all time, all places, have always thought that their hero, their Savior, would come in this way. He would come with glory, fully formed in glory and strength. He will rescue and bless the righteous ones, the faithful ones, which everybody everywhere interprets as being me and my friends. And he will bring death and destruction upon all sinners, all skeptics, meaning people I don't like. He will give them what they deserve. Everybody believes this. This is every culture, every nation, every religion's myth. And it's just amazing how exactly, precisely wrong that was. From the truth of when the real hero, the real Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, came. He came to save sinners, not to destroy us. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 the angel tells Joseph to name Jesus Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us not destroy us. But why why did he do that though? Right? That is kind of an unusual thing. If you were going to If you were going to take a guess at what the God would do the first time he came to earth, you would say he's probably gonna kill us all. That's what most everybody deserves, again, except for me and my friends, and uh, that's probably what the God is gonna do. But that's not what Jesus did. This is very odd and very unexpected. And so, look with me at the story that Matthew tells here in the beginning. Now, it just looks like typical Bible nonsense where he's rehearsing a bunch of old names and stuff, but he's actually telling a story here Telling a very important story. Matthew is telling the story of Israel, the story of Messiah, in this way. And he's doing it with a certain twist, which is very important because of the, the way the early Christians were telling their own story. We see this in the book of Galatians, in what we're studying, um, and we're going to pick up studying in just a couple weeks again. Most early Christians, when they told the story of their Messiah to Gentiles and Romans, they told it in a nationalistic, self-righteous way. Do you remember this phrase from Galatians 2? We're Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Right, so they told the story of Israel, they told the story of a of Messiah in a way that was like, well, of course he came to us. Of course he defeated all of your gods. Of course we're the winners, we're the righteous ones, we're the good people. But look how Matthew tells this story in order to stick it in the eye of that telling of their nationalistic identity. Look with me at verse 3. You may have noticed some of these things. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Verse 5, let's skip down to, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Every time there is a a lady's name mentioned in this genealogy, it is a direct hyperlink back to a sordid story of wickedness, injustice. Uh, Certainly, at least even in the case of of Ruth, uh, questionable purity and Gentile inclusion stuff. And then we read a little further, we go into verses 11 and 12, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Now we read that as just like, oh yeah, that was a thing in the history of Israel. That to them was nationalistic shame. This was the time in our story when we were so wicked and so unjust and so rebellious and so idolatrous that God had to step down and send us away from the promised land, scrape us away from our inheritance and send us into slavery and captivity. That's a story, it's a season of nationalistic shame, right? So much for the uh, we're so righteous story that they want to tell themselves. There's a special connection with Psalm 51. Did you notice that there in verse 6 where it says, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah? Right? Our study of, of Psalm 51 is the backstory to this genealogy. That's a story right to uh, when the greatest king in Israel's history committed adultery and murder, breaking, breaking several of the great commandments of God and of Israel. And yet, what does this mean? It means that Psalm 51 is part of Messiah's story. Wait, so your hero and Savior came from people who committed murder and adultery? Your hero and Savior came from all of these sordid tales? So much for the, uh, we are the best kind of people that there are story. This is a very unusual telling of the story of Israel and the story of Messiah. It's, it's nothing like this in the ancient uh, hero biographies, which were pretty common, or the nationalistic histories of the ancient world. Matthew is clearly intending to subvert the impulse to propaganda, that all of the ancient countries and nations had, which I might add, um, is still something that we're struggling with as individuals, our own little propaganda machine, and then our national ones as well. Matthew is doing the work here in Matthew one that Paul says had to happen to him in Galatians two, where he says I had to tear down, I had to tear down my sense of being righteous. Matthew wants to tear down the the Jewish story of righteousness and self-righteousness. And yet, of course, yet, he, he, he highlights all of these sort of tales, but then brings us to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So that's, this, is, this is sort of like uh, Old Testament, or, or I guess New Testament. First century Jew geekery a little bit here. He's saying there's six sevens in line here. And then now with Christ, we have the seventh seven, which is a sort of symbolic of fulfillment. That God's plan and God's purposes now through all of this sordid tale in this history are coming to fruition in history through Jesus from all of, all of that. So he's saying that all of this pain and shame referenced in this story, that's all part of Messiah's story and that's all part of His glory. So Matthew presents the perfect plan of God. He presents the story of Messiah alongside and full of stories of shame and guilt and sin and pain and national disgrace. And why does he do that? He wants to say something to his readers. He wants to say something to all the world and to us today on Christmas morning as well. This is the message of Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is the promised one. He is that hero and savior come from God. But he is here for all of us. He didn't come into the world to destroy the world. Shocker of all shockers. But he is here for all of us. In John chapter 1, John says that Jesus came to his own. He came to the Jewish people first of all to save them from their sins. Right? That was not a mark of prestige for Israel that Messiah came to them first. It was because their, their sins needed to be handled first. Their sins needed to be addressed first. But John says in John chapter 2 that Jesus is the Lamb of God here to carry off the sins of the world. And of course, John chapter 3 God so loved the world. Matthew 1 is saying, All the stories of all your tribes and all your families, and all yourselves, they're all the same story. We try to cover up our stories. We try to shade them so they look a little better. We, we, take, uh, we go into our photo albums and we fold back pictures selectively. You, you remember pictures? You, fold, you go into your app and you use that little Google thing that the commercials are telling us about where you eliminate people from the background or whatever. But Matthew's saying, "Don't, don't bother, don't bother. Listen, Jesus came for the Jews because Jesus came from the Jews, and there, you know, any Roman, any Gentile, barbarian, African reading this is like they're just like us. They've got the same actual stories we've got. the The story of the history of the Jews is the, just a version of the story of the Romans. It's just a version of the story of the Gauls and the Visigoths and the Celts." It's just a version of this. We're all no better nor no worse than the other. This is a representation of the kind of stories that we all have in our family tree. In other words, as Matthew writes this gospel, he's saying we are all as qualified as Israel when it comes to needing the salvation that Jesus brings. We're all as qualified as even God's own people When it comes to needing Jesus. And Jesus came for you, whether you're Roman or Galatian or African. Jesus came for all sinners. He came for all of us. Jesus is from all of us, and Jesus is for all of us. Which means that Jesus is for each one of us entirely. Which is one of the reasons why I asked Tony to read this whole chapter. All of those weird little names, right? People you never, you're never going to know anything about was somebody. Somebody whose story is included in the story of the Messiah. Somebody whose story is included in the story of the Messiah and completed by the story of the Messiah. All that we are, our whole story is welcomed and addressed by Jesus. Jesus welcomes us. He's not interested in our sanitized, constructed identities. He's not interested in our propaganda. Jesus came from the whole story. He knows the whole story. He wants the whole of each one of us. The truth. The truth. Because Matthew 1 As Matthew 1 says, our stories, just like Asaph and Joram and Hezekiah and Amos, we're part of Messiah's story. Messiah is also here then to make our stories whole. Sometimes the stories of our life as we reflect on them can seem like just a recitation of grief and failure, regret, frustration. But Matthew says it was actually preparation. It was preparation for when Jesus was going to come into your life. It was preparation for Him. Even Psalm 51 is now a beautiful part of Messiah's story. Part of why we love Jesus so much is because He brought that whole thing into Himself. You know, God uses the hard things of our life he uses the dumb things that we've done and that have happened to us and the wicked things around us he uses these things thanks be to god because that's mostly what we give him but by our mess jesus or god brings us jesus and into our mess steps our lord not the sky god destroyer of our fantasies, but a baby born to people just like us, with stories like ours and like our family stories. Jesus is for us because he came from us. So, this Christmas day, um, welcome Jesus. So, so, I want you to put in the back of your mind a uh, welcome Christmas song, Wahoo Dore. and was, uh, just insert welcome Jesus. Welcome, Jesus, this Christmas Day. Give your story to Jesus. Here's what Matthew 1 is inviting us to do. Give our stories to Jesus as well and receive Jesus into our stories. So take a break from the propaganda. That's the first thing. Matthew 1's told the story. We we know. You got Tamar in your family tree. You got the wife of Uriah. It doesn't even say her name, right? We've all got those things in our family tree. We've all fallen short. We've all wandered off. We've all eaten food that was on the ground longer than it should have been. And we've done worse things than that, right? We all have all these things in common. Most, what we all have in most, common most is that we all need Jesus. And I would like you to welcome Jesus uh, the way that you receive a hug. H- hug Jesus is what I'm trying to say. Like faith in the gospel is like a hug. Because how do you hug somebody, right? We've got these sort of awkward acquaintance Christmas party hugs, but a real hug is you've got to give yourself to it. You've got to give yourself to it, and what what do you get when you give yourself to it? You get him. You get him. You give yourself, and you get him. You have to give yourself to it in order to get Jesus. And what Matthew 1 tells us is that it's okay to give all yourself to it. It's okay to give all yourself to Jesus. You don't have to clean up your story. You don't have to uh, invest in a propaganda machine. The hard parts of your life, the, the hard and sad things from this last year, everything is part of the story. Everything is part of the story. The story, what story is this? It's the story of how Jesus came to us. I mean, that's one version of it, right? Matthew wasn't the only one telling stories of Israel. I guess that's the question for us. Is this the version of our story that we're willing to accept? And then, and then put a new photo in your scrapbook into the story of who you are. You and Jesus, arm in arm together. He's there with you in your story now and you're a part of his story. You are his and he is yours and he is yours and you are his. And he is ours, and we are his. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good word. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. Lord, as we reflect on the the year that's been, as we reflect on the Christmas season, There's a lot of dark spots in it. As we think about our lives, there's a lot of things in our past, in our family tree, in our heritage, a lot of things that have happened to us, a lot of things that we've done that bring us shame, that bring us concern, that we don't like to think about when we think about you. We want to think about good things. We want to think about hope and life and light. And yet you welcome us entirely. You welcome us with our whole story into Fellowship with you through Jesus. And Jesus came to us. He came to us, to people just like us and to us. And so, Lord, this morning, would you stir in our hearts to draw us more completely, including more of ourselves, into fellowship with Jesus? And would you encourage us or, or help us to open our lives more to him. He is the goal, he is the fulfillment, he is the he is the one that we've been waiting for that our lives have been waiting for. And so we ask that you would lead us this morning to him. Father, we are so thankful for this great gift. We are so thankful for this for our Lord Jesus.